chapter 9. So year 7 to year 13, if you're here for the first time, you're welcome to leave. To go. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again, as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we stand as Keith brings us our gospel reading? Can I just remind me, I'm looking at the illustration, but you've only got to stand up. Good. Isn't it wonderful to have... You see, that's the benefit of having a vicar who's a lot younger. Um, He understands these things. So hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting nets into the the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. 
Please be seated. Back in the 1970s, when I first became a Christian, there was a translation of the Bible called the Good News Bible. Some of you looking round are too young to remember the 70s, and some of you are too old to remember anything. (laughs) But it was a forerunner of the message that we have today in the Passion Translation. In it, in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, there's this verse. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. I suggest that this could be nowhere more true than when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God made it plain and simple, but we have all too often made it very complicated. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel is, I believe, plain and simple. But it's still challenging. It can still be tough at times. But at its heart, it's never complicated. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus' proclamation of the good news, the gospel couldn't be more plain and simple. It consists of three words, repent and believe. Perhaps I should say six words, because the invitation following, come, follow me, is part and parcel of the plain and simple gospel. Repent and believe. Come, follow me. That's it. That, at its heart, is the gospel. However, what does it mean? What does it mean to repent? What does it mean? What are we to believe? What does following Jesus actually entail? Let's look at repent, first of all. The word repent is much more than saying sorry. It's much more than being regretful for something I've done wrong or some nasty thing I've said to somebody. Repent is essentially turning 180 degrees. We've all experienced, have we not, perhaps driving somewhere unknown to us before, or going on a walk, and we suddenly realise after a while that we're going the wrong way. What do we do? We turn round to go back, to pick up where we should be. That is repenting. 
In the Bible, of course, the word repent is generally uh, associated with sin. About returning from going my way, as Frank Sinatra would have said in the 1960s, to going God's way. You see, turning is not just a negative thing, turning from, but it has a positive component, turning to. And this is why, as we'll see in a minute, following Jesus is part of that process. But Jesus says, repent and believe. What are we to believe? What is essentially the good news that we're called to believe? The Bible teaches us that when God created us in his image and likeness, not that we look like him as it were, but it's in his characteristics. When God created us to be in his image and likeness, he made us to be capable of loving. He made us with an inbuilt sense of right and wrong. He built into us a sense of justice and a sense and an ability to be creative. The trouble is, as the story in the garden tells us, our ancestors thought they knew better. And before we are critical of them, let's be honest and say that we're not much better. We all too often think we know better than God. That's what the Bible calls sin. And as we know from our own human experiences, when there is sin, whatever form it takes, almost the first casualty are relationships. Whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a relationship at work, whatever. Relationships are so often the first casualty of our sin. And in the beginning, it was no different. When our ancestors rebelled against God, that relationship we were created for was broken. But there's more than that. Although God loves us, and wants us to have that relationship, he cannot simply let us off our sin. He cannot simply say, it doesn't matter, brush it under the carpet, let's forget it. Because besides being a loving God, he's a God of justice. And justice demands punishment. We know that from our own experience. If somebody burgles our house, then we want that person caught. 
And yes, punished. It's an inbuilt sense of justice and with it punishment that we have. But God loves us so much that he recognises that we can't take the punishment because actually the punishment means being separated from him not just here and now but all eternity so what did he do about it he sent Jesus Jesus came God in human form living and experiencing for 30 odd years everything that we experience the joy and the tears the pain and the suffering ultimately a cruel undeserved death on a cross and then somehow we'll never fully understand it I believe but somehow in Jesus' death on the cross the punishment that we justly deserved was taken by him that we need not suffer that punishment of eternal separation from God. Do I fully understand it? Ha! Well, if anybody claims to, they're deluded. No, but I believe it. I believe it. This is what Jesus calls us to believe because this is the heart of the good news. Repent and believe the good news. But the Bible teaches us that there's a little bit more to believing than simply intellectual assent. In the Bible, believe encompasses the words believe, uh, encompasses the words faith and trust. Not just agreeing, but believing must result in action. In December 1974, I believed what it said in the Bible. I believed that Jesus existed. I believed that Jesus had died and rose again. I believed it, even though some people would find that strange because I'm a scientist. But I believed it. But that's where it stopped. I had not, until December 74, put my faith and trust in what this book said, in what Jesus said, in what Jesus had done. You see, before that wonderful date in December 74, it was a bit like if you went down to Orpington Station because you wanted to go up to London 
you looked at the timetable in the ticket hall and you found that there was a train at 10.05 to London Bridge. You believed it. I know that's hard to believe because it's South East Rail, but you know what I mean. You believed it. And then you just stand there in the ticket hall. I believe it. Oh, it's five past ten. Wouldn't do you any good at all, would it? Your belief has got to result in action. You've got to buy a ticket. You've got to move to the correct platform. And when the train comes along and the doors open, you've got to get on it. Belief must result in action. That's why Jesus goes on immediately to say, come, follow me. You see, I'm sure that those disciples, Peter and James and John and the rest of them, they knew about Jesus. This was not the first time they'd seen him, I'm sure, because it's after John had been killed, John the Baptist had been killed. So Jesus had been ministering before then. So they'd heard of him, they'd perhaps seen him. But at this point in Mark's story, they accepted Jesus' invitation. Their belief resulted in action. Come, follow me. And what did they do? Instantly, immediately, they followed Jesus, leaving behind what they had previously done. And that's what I did in December 74. I moved from believing what the Bible said, believing about Jesus to accepting his invitation to come follow me. And the rest is history, as they say. All I would add, that it was the best thing I ever did. Even better than marrying Jenny. And that's saying something. But as I've been thinking about this morning and preparing, I felt I wanted to say a few words to any who might be here this morning who haven't yet repented and turned to Jesus. You may be watching online at home now or later in the day or later in the week. What's holding you back? Perhaps, like a lot of people, you're feeling you're not good enough. It's common enough these days with all the scum that is on social media. Or perhaps all this talk about sin. And you feel that doesn't apply to you. You've led a good life. You haven't been nasty to anybody. You give some of your money to charity. Uh, 
you're quite a good person. But you know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. All. And if you look that word up, all, in the Bible, do you know what it means? It means all. (laughs) Every single one of us. The only person who has ever, ever lived a perfect, sin-free life is Jesus Christ. Either way, the plain and simple call of Jesus in the gospel is to repent and believe and then to come follow me. I want to illustrate this idea of repentance and whether we feel we're not good enough or perhaps we are good enough with a little illustration with the help of Bimbi. I've elevated Bimbi a little bit this morning. He's going to be Jesus. It was easier for him to be Jesus than me. I really don't feel good enough to become a follower of Jesus. I'm just, I've led an awful life. I've stolen. I've been involved in knife crime. I've abused my loved ones. I'm just not good enough. Actually, I'm quite a nice chap, really. Um, I gave some money to a poor homeless guy up in London the other week. And uh, I occasionally give a bit of money to uh, charities. Once or twice I've put a packet of something at the supermarket in for the food bank. And uh, I don't swear, I don't smoke, I don't drink. I'm really quite a nice chap. Neither of us is a Christian. Neither of us can be a Christian unless we do something. I'm not good enough, but I know someone who is. And when I turn to face Jesus, that's repentance. And I can start to follow him step by step. I may not be very good at it, and sometimes I'm tempted to turn back a bit, but I come back. I repent again. Yeah, I'm a good chap, nice chap, pleasant. I don't need Jesus. Or do I? And when I realise that I do, I can turn and follow Jesus. It's not about whether you're good enough, whether you're near him in his standards, or you're over there a long way away. What matters is you turn to him and follow him. 
See, someone said once that God loves us just the way we are, whether we're over there or we're here. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. Thank you, Bimby. So I'd like to encourage you this morning to take that step for yourself here or watching online. I tell you, it'll be the best decision you'll ever make in your whole life. Perhaps you're someone who did so long ago, but you've drifted away. God still loves you. Jesus still wants you. So you can turn and return to Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a moment in a simple prayer. And I'm going to actually ask that everybody stands, if you're able, and repeats the phrases after me. Maybe you have been a Christian for a long, long time like I have. Or it may be that you've never given your life to Jesus. But it's good to remind ourselves, which is why I'm inviting us all to say this prayer after me together. Remind ourselves of the plain and simple heart of the gospel. So if you're able, would you stand? I'm going to say this prayer in short phrases and ask you to repeat it after me out loud. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. So that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness. and the gift of your Holy Spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you're here, then please have a word with Bimbi or myself afterwards. And if you did so while watching online, please be in touch with us here at St Paul's. Before I finish, just a word for all of us. Jesus' commission 
has always been for us to go out and tell others. He could only do so for about three or so years to a limited number of people in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire. But the gospel is no different now than it was 2,000 years ago. And Jesus wants us, every one of us, whether we've known Jesus for a long time or only since this morning, to go out and tell others. A few weeks back, social media was buzzing with good news. Do you know what good news it was? The petrol station down the road just had a delivery. (laughs) There was no hesitation for people sharing that good news. There was no fear, there was no shame. People were just anxious to let their friends and neighbours know. Let me tell you, our good news is eternally more important and infinitely better than any delivery of petrol. So why are we so reluctant to share it? The story of Jonah that we heard at the beginning of our lesson, or a little bit of that story, is both a warning and an encouragement to us. It's a warning that we should obey God when he prompts us to share the good news with somebody. But it's also an encouragement that however reluctant Jonah was when he obeyed God, a whole city was turned around by his obedience. But remember, folks, Keep it plain and simple. Last week I received a card from CARE, Christian Action Research and Education. A little card and it had on it a couple of verses from Paul's letter to the Philippians in the message translation. (coughs) It was very apposite to come with this sermon in mind. Let me read it to you as I close. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in the squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light given message into the night. Repent and believe. Come, follow me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Let's stand and celebrate.